If you turn over to First uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter five, we're making our way through this. Be praying for um, Raphael and his wife. His Raphael lost his brother uh, this week, passed away. So we want to be praying for them as they. Uh, I don't know when they're going to go down to San Antonio, but uh, uh, be praying for them. It's always a hard time of the year to to go through that kind of experience. <clears throat> Let's pray and, and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we pray, and we pray for Raphael and the loss of his brother, Lord, his family. And, and Lord, we pray that you would uh, minister to his heart, to his wife's heart, and to their family, Lord, as they even uh, meet with family today, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray that you, we, we, we just entrust his brother's soul into your hands. And Father, we know um, that you're a just God. And Lord, we thank you um, for our family and friends. And, and we do pray that you would um, uh, just minister your grace during this time. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, coming up on Thanksgiving, can you believe it? I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like, where did this year go? Um, and, you know, Thanksgiving is always an interesting time because if you spend your Thanksgiving with family and friends, um, depending on your family, <laughs> that can be a blessing or a curse, right? So I'm, re- I'm reminded of this story I heard of a uh, retired uh, couple. They moved to Florida, get out of the cold and all that stuff, and they moved from the, the uh, upper east coast, New Jersey area, and they moved to Florida, and they retired down there, and... Um, they uh, phoned their daughter. Um, the father phoned the daughter, and she lived in New Jersey. And she said, he said, you know, honey, I, I have some bad news for you. Um, your mother and I have decided after 52 years of marriage, that's enough. We're done. We're calling it quits. We're getting a divorce. And his daughter yelled in the phone, are you crazy? What are you thinking? We're not going to let you do that. And the father says, no, we've had enough. We're, we're getting tired of the same old routine. And we're, we're, we're looking at each other every day. And I just don't want to talk about it anymore. So, you know, call your brother. Let him know the bad news in, in Detroit. And uh, you can let him know. And, and the father just hangs up. Well, the daughter's devastated, clearly. And panic-stricken, she picks up the phone. And she phones her brother and drops the bomb about this pending divorce of her mom and dad, their mom and dad, and the father responds the same way. No way. There, there's no way this is going to happen. We're not going to let it happen. Stay by the phone. I'm going to deal with this. I'll talk to them and I'll handle this. I'll call you back as soon as possible. So the brother phones his father down in Florida and says, Dad, sis just told me that you're getting a divorce. That's crazy. There's no way on earth we're going to let you do this, and, and this isn't going to happen to you and mom. We're both getting plane tickets as I speak, and we're flying down tonight, and we'll be there in Florida with you, and we're going to straighten this thing out. Listen, don't do anything till we get there. Do you hear me? Promise me, Dad. Don't do anything. And his dad agreed. He turned his cell phone off with a smile. And then said to his wife, okay, it's all arranged, sweetheart. The kids are coming for Thanksgiving this year. And best of all, they're buying their own tickets. I don't know if that's going to be a happy Thanksgiving meal around that table. But we've been looking, all joking aside, we've been looking at at, at 1 Thessalonians chapter and we've, we've been dealing with the responsibilities within the church, the responsibility of the leaders, of the pastors to the congregation, the pastors, uh, the, the responsibility of the congregation to the, the pastors and the elders. And then the congregation has a responsibility one to another. And we've looked at all this and we've focused in on verses 14 through 18, basically. And I just want to read this for you. It says, it's quick. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Timothy just kind of in staccato fashion just rips off these three commands. 
Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, we talked about this last week, and we introduced this message last week, and we got through the first two. So today we're going to cover the third one, give thanks in all circumstances. But remember, God commands us to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. And you might be sitting here this morning and say, how in the world are we supposed to do that? And we talked about this last week, and you can get the messages on the app and everything. And with each command, we kind of went over what the command meant. And then also we gave you some helpful hints on how you could maybe carry out that command in your own life. But we focused in on that last verse, verse 18. He says, for this is the will, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You can't do any of this if you're not in Christ Jesus. It's going to be impossible for you to fulfill these commands. It's hard for those that are in Christ Jesus to fulfill these commands. So this isn't something you hunker down and say, okay, the pastor says I got to rejoice always, so I'm just going to paint a smile on my face and I'm going to be on my knees all this. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking more about attitudes of the heart. And the Bible points this out, but you have to be in Christ. If you're hearing this message this morning and you aren't in Christ, um, I'll just ask you, why not? What are you waiting for? Because God definitely has a desire for you to know his son. He's given his son on Calvary to die for the payment for your sins. And when you come to faith in Christ, when you come to the cross needy, in need of a savior, he will meet you right there. And he will take that burden of sin off your shoulders and forgive it. The burden will be gone. The debt will be paid in full. I mean, that's an incredible offer of grace when we know all along we don't deserve any of God's favor. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We don't deserve anything but God from God but his eternal wrath. And, and yet in Christ he loves us and he cares for us and he forgives our sin. Why wouldn't you come to Christ would be my question. What's holding you back? And so he tells them, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And then today, I want to kind of mix two messages together because as I was studying this past week, I was studying basically on give thanks and everything, but I kind of had my work already done because I was supposed to get through it last week, right? So then I was giving a devotion for the men on, on Saturday, and I began to look at, at Psalm 93, and we're going to be going through that psalm today. And these notes aren't in your notes, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so we'll go over what's in, the, in your notes, but then we're going to add a little bit to it so you can get your pen out and take some notes when we get to that point. But God commands us to give thanks in everything. Well, what does this command mean? This command means basically, very simply, that in every situation we are to give thanks to our sovereign and good God and Savior. In everything, every situation, it doesn't matter what it is. As a matter of fact, when you look in the Bible, being unthankful is the very essence of an unregenerate heart. The people in the Bible who are ungrateful and unthankful are those who don't know God. The Apostle Paul identifies unbelievers as ungrateful. Look at, at Romans, or listen, listen as I read Romans one twenty one. It says, for even though they knew God... Through conscience and general revelation, they did not honor him as God or, what, give thanks. This is speaking of unbelievers. But they came, became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. But see, when God regenerates an individual, when he changes their heart, he produces a new heart that longs to obey this command of giving thanks in everything. And it's a very simple and direct statement that allows believers no excuses for ungratefulness in their lives. None whatsoever. There's no wiggle room here. So if you're being ungrateful, if you have an ungrateful attitude as a believer, you're really, I could honestly say, you're in sin. You're doing the opposite of this command. Now when it says here, in everything, the original language, in pentea, it means all that occurs in life, everything across a broad spectrum. No matter what struggles, no matter what trials, no matter what testings, 
occur in the lives of Christians, they are to give thanks. James points this out. James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why would you count it joy? Well, he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God has a purpose, even in your trials. 1 Peter 1, 6-9, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, and it is necessary, (laughs) you can almost read that, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, since it's necessary, (laughs) you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not Now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thankfulness should be very part of our of our lives as believers. It's it's part of the the, the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, in other words, those who are in Christ, he says, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? By what? By faith, right? So walk in him. And then he says this, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, And then it says this at the end of verse 7. I love this. Abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Not just a little bit of thanksgiving. Abounding, overflowing with thanksgiving. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20, Paul puts it this way. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Giving thanks in every situation doesn't mean you have to be happy. It doesn't mean you have a smile on your face in every situation. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you've just resigned, well, okay, well, that's the way it is. I guess I'll just not do anything. That's a... No, you don't just resign yourself. You, you, what? you pray. You ask God to change circumstances sometimes. I mean... We've had several people in our church, young people, who've been single and, and, you know, they're single and they don't want to be single anymore and they're praying. That's fine. That's a good thing. Giving thanks in every situation doesn't mean that you're happy. But have you ever stopped and thanked God that you're single? Have you ever thanked God for your singleness? Have you ever thanked God for your loneliness? That's everything, folks. Maybe you're not happy with it. But are you thankful for it? Now, there's nothing wrong with being thankful for something and then saying, hey, you know what, God? If you could change this, I'd really appreciate it. Somebody gave me a book one time when I was single, and I wasn't really looking to get married, but they gave me a book, and it says, Satisfied Single. It was the weirdest book. I just thought, wow, for somebody who's single and wants to get married and they pick that book up, it's going to be kind of discouraging for them. But you know what? There were times, even when I was single, that I spent a lot of time alone. But now I look back on that and I'm thinking, wow, you know what? Even though I wasn't maybe fulfilled at that point, because I think marriage is a good thing. But I know that God used that time in my life. And some of you are single here this morning. You know what? God wants to use this time in your life for his purpose. And so thank God for it. He'll come along. He'll come along. Just give it time. Continue to pray. We don't need to feel thankful before we give thanks is the point. And when God takes us through these hard trials in our lives, 
we don't feel thankful, frankly. I think you'd have a mental problem if you felt thankful in the middle of a major trial. Going, oh, I just enjoy this so much. But by faith, we can say, you know what, Lord? I trust that you are good and that you are holy and that you are righteous. You're just. You know what you're doing because you created me. And even this difficult situation that I don't like, I can submit to your sovereign hand and your purpose and your providence here in my life, knowing that you will work it together for my good somehow. So just like rejoicing always, giving thanks in everything is often what? It's a choice. It's choice. If you try to do this by your feelings alone, you're going to be a miserable Christian. You're not going to be able to do it. Well, how can you develop a habit of thankfulness? Just a couple quick things here. I think firstly, most importantly, deepen your understanding of God's sovereignty and goodness. And this is where I want to spend a lot of our time this morning once we get through with these, these points here. And you remember the story of Joseph. You know, you can go back and you can read about that. Joseph's brother's hatred for him. They planned to kill him. And they said, hey, we'll make some money off him. So they sold him to a caravan. And um, he ended up in, in slavery. He ended up getting thrown into prison, even though he obeyed God by resisting the advances of Potiphar's wife. And he begged the cupbearer, remember, who was in prison with him, hey, if you get out, make sure you explain this to the guys so I can get out of here too. And two years later, uh, Joseph interpreted the Pharaoh's dream and was instantly elevated to the second most powerful position in the country. That's amazing to me. And he had to wait in prison probably, some say, another four years after the cupbearer got out because, well, he, the Bible says he forgot. <laughs> forgot to mention that one little fact about Joseph being in there unjustly. And at that point, you know, Joseph wept and asked, am I, am I in God's place? Then he revealed all the, you know, God, God showed him what he wanted to do. And he says in verse 20 of Genesis 50, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Sometimes God's plan, we can't even fathom. We don't understand. It's, it's so far greater than ours. So we need to understand our, deepen our understanding of God's sovereignty, and we'll talk about that at the end of the message. Secondly, thankfulness will be a habit of ours when we trust in God as a habit. See, um, it, it will just naturally flow out of our lives if we're trusting God as a habit habitually in our life. You know, there are some Christians who just worry, 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 worry. When you worry, guess what you're doing? You're not trusting God. That's why Paul says, be anxious for what? Some things? No, nothing. Why? You have no need to be anxious. Because you have a God who created you, who's watching over you, who's taking care of every little jot and tittle of your life. He knows exactly what's going on with you. Thankfulness and trust are bound together. If you're trusting God, then you're thankful. If you're not thankful, then what? You're not trusting God. And this happens over and over with children of Israel. God delivered them from slavery in Egypt by ten miraculous plagues on the Egyptians. And he spared the Israelites. He brought them through the Red Sea miraculously. Then he closed the sea on all the pursuing Egyptian army. You would think by that point, they would look at God and say, yeah, I think he's got our back. We're pretty thankful that our God is watching us, watching over us. But you read in Exodus 15, verses 22 to 24, that they then went three days in the wilderness. They found no water. They started to grumble at Moses, which really was God's representative. So really they were grumbling at who? They were grumbling at God. They didn't trust that God, who had so powerfully saved them in all these different circumstances of slavery and, and, and from the enemy, could provide water for them in the desert. If you're grumbling, you're not trusting. If you're not trusting, you're not thankful. It's just tied together. So if you develop a habit of trusting God, especially in trials, then you're a lot, it's a lot easier to thank him 
both for his, his great salvation and for the opportunity to see him work in your time of need. To always give thanks for all things, and this is what Ephesians 5.20 tells us there on your outline, we need to deliberately focus on God the Father. We need, our focus has to be deliberate. If you're not focusing deliberately on God, especially in times of trouble, in trial, guess what? What are you going to be focusing on? You're going to be focusing on the trouble. You're going to be focusing on the hurt. You're going to be focusing on the pain. No, you have to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to my I'm going to focus on God and His goodness and His holiness. You have to focus on the Father's sovereignty, on the Father's love, on how the Father has blessed you up to this point, especially with the gift of salvation. It has to be deliberate. But you also have to have a joyful submission to God to give thanks for all things. In that same chapter, Ephesians 5, verse 19, it tells us that they were singing and making melody to the Lord with their hearts. When we come here on Sunday, we shouldn't walk in the door beat up by the world, dragging our feet, looking down at the ground, going, oh, woe is me, man. I hope, hope they sing my song today. I hope the pastor has some good word because I am just beat up. No. What a joyous time to come together as God's people and to say, wow, we can gather together as God's people and trust him that he will work in our midst through the teaching and through the singing and the praising and the fellowship that we have with one another. And you should walk off this campus stronger, edified in your spirit than when you came in. And I put a list there of some things that we can be thankful for. Aren't you thankful that God is a righteous individual? (laughs) He's not like the pagan gods who are evil. God is righteous. Aren't you thankful for Christ's redemptive work? Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit's ministry on our behalf? Sometimes we pray. We don't even know how to pray. And it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Are you thankful for the many spiritual blessings that you have as a believer? Are you thankful for God's providence, his promise of future glory, his promise of answered prayer, the gift of his word that you have a Bible to read? The privilege of genuine fellowship, the saving, even the proclamation of the gospel, the saving proclamation of the gospel. Are you thankful for that? I pray you are. It's those things we need to be focusing on. It's those things that we need to look at in times of need. Because those are the things that are going to sustain us in the droughts, in the times when things don't work out. But I think as you hear these commands, rejoice always, pray unceasingly, and give thanks in all things, I thought to myself, what one focus could you have that would sustain you to do all three of those things? What underlying kind of foundation in your Christian walk, if you could understand one thing, what would it be that could assist you in carrying out Paul's commands? And I think without a doubt, we see this in Psalm 93. So I want you to turn to Psalm 93, because I'm going to read Psalm 93 for us. And then we're just going to pick it apart for a few moments and give you some words that talks about the sovereignty of God. So Psalm 93, the heading there in my Bible, it says, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns, and you're going to find out why. Listen to what it says in Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, The floods have lifted up their voice, and the floods lift up their roaring. Verse 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Look at that verse. It's like, did you hear me? 
He's mighty. Did you hear me? He's mighty. He's mighty. He's mighty. He says it three times. Verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This psalm really teaches us all about the sovereignty of God. R.C. Sproul said the sovereignty of God is God's favorite doctrine. (laughs) And if you were God, it would be your favorite doctrine too. It means that you are in charge. There's no being that's greater than God. There's no other being that's more in charge than God is in charge. I remember seeing some TV show and the manager came into the, the office and somebody commented on his weight. He said, well, I'm here. I'm large and I'm in charge. And I thought, okay, this guy's got an interesting perspective. That's our God. There's no one greater than him. God does what he pleases, as he pleases, where he pleases, when he pleases, how he pleases, with whom he pleases. See, God is not just a mere name for somebody, but God is really the full reality of what it means to be God, that he's sovereign over all. And the sovereignty of God, I would tell you this morning, is the chief capstone of our faith. It's the chief article of our faith. It says God reigns. Guess what? If God doesn't reign, he's not God. This is what God does. He rules. He administers. He reigns every day, all day, forever. Nothing is out of control. God has his master plan and he is carrying it out. I think what's hard for us as humans, we look at the world and it's so upside down and it's so crazy. And, you know, despite how you thought the election should have turned out or how it did turn out for you, it's irrelevant. Because guess what? They're not in charge. God's in charge. God is causing all things to work together for his glory, for his purpose, and for our good as his children. This is a truth that ancient Israel needed to be reminded of when this psalm was written. To give you a little background on this psalm, I mean, think about it. They have been in Babylon as slaves held captive for 70 long years. 70 long years. Suffering affliction under the hand of the oppressed, the oppressing enemy. And it seemed from their human perspective, okay, we're serving God, but why is it we're spending 70 years under this evil regime in slavery? This is not comfortable. This is not causing me to rejoice. This is not causing me to give thanks. From their human perspective, it seemed that everything was out of control. They knew the word of God. They knew what God had promised them. But it wasn't working out. Jerusalem had been ransacked and all the people of God had been taken captive for seven long decades in a place that wasn't a good place to be in for them. And now they had returned to the promised land. Think about this with me. Under Zerubbabel, under Ezra, under Nehemiah, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the wall. And here in Psalm 93... They go into the rebuilt temple and they sing praises to their God. And this Psalm 93 is actually, if you, if you understand how the Psalms were arranged and written, there's basically five books that make up the book of Psalms. Five books. And this is in the fourth book, which is Psalms 90 through 106. It's kind of like just broken up into sections. In book four of the book of Psalms is where we find ourselves here in Psalm 93. And it was at this time that the people went into the temple of God and they began to sing Psalm 93. 
as a reminder. They purposely did this as a reminder that though the affairs of the world all around them have seemed turned upside down and are in dismay, over all of that mess that they saw in their world is the sovereign rule, the sovereign reign of God. He's all-powerful over all. Now, I hope you see the connection. There's no difference. No difference with them that many thousand years ago and us today. There's not a whole lot of difference here. We need to be reminded that, you know what, God rules in his sovereignty. We need to be reminded of that as believers. We call this a what? A Christian worldview, right? Someone who's not a Christian doesn't believe that God rules. As a matter of fact, they don't want anything to do with God. If you want their perspective, just read Romans 1. Right? They take God, and, and they, they, instead of worshiping the creator, what do they do? They worship the creation. And so we see that going on today. See, the Christian worldview is the lens through which we see life all around us as Christians. It's, it's the anchor of our souls, you could say. Because you're in a world that's being tossed to and fro. It's, it's all mixed up. Well, what keeps you sound? What keeps you grounded? What we believe rests squarely on the truth of some of the information we will look at today. But it starts with the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. So let's look at the sovereign reign of God. The sovereign reign of God. I want to give you a couple words to focus on. The first one is seen there in the very first verse of Psalm 93. The Lord. The Lord. God reigns, listen, exclusively. That's the first word. God reigns exclusively. And by the way, if you're trying to hurry up and take notes, you can just open up the app and you'll find this outline on the app under the men's study because I shared the same thing with them yesterday. So don't freak out if you can't write all this down. It's all on the app. But God reigns exclusively. And it says the Lord. The Lord reigns. It doesn't say that Satan reigns. I'm, I'm appalled at how many believers think that Satan reigns. It doesn't say that man reigns. It doesn't say that human rulers reign. And it doesn't say that our circumstances reign. It doesn't say that events in our lives reign. Do you know there's no such thing as luck? There's no such thing as luck. That should not be part of a believer's vocabulary. Now we all slip up. Hey, good luck with it. But, but there's no such thing as luck. It's speaking against the very words of Scripture when you say that. There's no good luck. There's no bad luck. That's all from pagan mythology. That's all from religious superstitions. There is no luck. There's no good karma and bad karma, as people like to say today. I'll even go as far as saying there's no such thing as an accident. Why? Because God oversees all this stuff. There's only one God. And it's the God who reigns over all. Notice what it doesn't say here. It doesn't say the Lord and man reigns. It doesn't even say the Lord and Satan reigns. a lot of believers today that that believe the lie that there's this big cosmic tug of war going on in heaven you have satan on one side with all his angels and you have god on the other side and they're pulling back and forth and but we call that spiritual warfare aren't you interested in spiritual warfare no why because he lost satan lost the war's over it's over we just have to believe that we have to act upon that. And he's doing everything possible to believe that, make us believe, no, 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 no. No, it's not over. Because he can still pull this out somehow. 
Now, is he a powerful foe? Yes. I'm not making light of Satan's power or his evilness or anything else, but you know, read the end of the book. We win. If you're on the right side, we win. Game over. There's only one who reigns, and that's God and God alone. Washington, D.C. is not reigning. The European Union is not reigning. The world powers are not reigning. Give you a little hint. This world is not being run by a democracy. We heard that word a lot. We got to protect democracy. You know this last election, right? I mean, they went nuts with that one. It's not being run by a democracy. It's being run by a theocracy. Because God is over it. God is sovereign over all. And it's God and God alone. And this psalm begins with that startling declaration. I'm sure it was startling for them. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, we, we just came out of all this stuff. 70 years. And, and you're saying, no, this statement is an indicative statement. It's a statement of fact. This has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with your feelings. Literally, this verse says Yahweh is king, or more literally, it says Yahweh has is assumed his kingship. The Lord reigns. Anyone and everyone is under his rule. Anyone and everyone is under his purview. The God of the Bible reigns exclusively. It says the Lord. And then it says here, second word is constantly. The Lord reigns constantly. It says the Lord reigns. Not that he will reign. Not that he did reign. This verb tense states continuity. It states continuous reign. Never ending reign. Never ceasing rulership over all. It's a fixed reality. Nothing can change this fact. It doesn't matter how many people shake their fist at God. It's not going to change anything. Notice it does not say that the Lord was reigning in the Old Testament. But then, you know, we got to down the throne in Babylon, and obviously he's not reigning. No, it doesn't say that. No, the Lord reigns. It just says the Lord reigns. It doesn't say he was just reigning in the Old Testament, but then he was overthrown somehow. It does not say the Lord will be reigning in the future. A lot of Christians think, oh, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. And he finally takes control. Hello, he's already in control. Wake up. Everything that's happening in the world is happening by his divine plan and purpose. The Lord reigns. He reigns during the day. He reigns during the night. He reigns over the young. He reigns over the old. It's a constant, continual truth. He reigns on good days. He reigns on bad days as we perceive them. He reigns on the mountaintops. He reigns in the valleys. He reigns in adversity. He reigns in prosperity. He reigns in life. He reigns in death. God reigns. He reigns exclusively. He reigns constantly. Thirdly, the Lord reigns actively. That verb is an active verb in the original language. This is not speaking of the God of the the deists who say that God somehow created everything and then he sits back in his armchair and just kind of watches everything play out and plays no part at all. They say it's kind of like he, he wound up the clock and now he just sits by and stares at the clock. No, that's not the God we serve. This is an active reigning going on. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, listen to this, according to the purpose of him who works all things, not some things, not most things, all things according to the counsel of his will. That's a pretty bold statement. We know Romans 8, 28. We know that God... For those who love God, God works all things together, right? For good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. He says, no, he, he takes all things and he work, works them together for good. 
Sometimes that doctor's diagnosis is not good. But you can be guaranteed that God will use it for your good. Sometimes that troubled relationship is not good, but God can use it for your good. Sometimes that financial stress you're dealing with is not good, but you know what? God has a purpose for it. He has a purpose behind it. God has a purpose for you being married to maybe someone who doesn't know the Lord. And that's causing stress. It's causing anxiety. God has a purpose in all that. He knows what he's doing. God is actively governing. He's actively administering. He's actively presiding over. You could say he's actively declaring. He's decreeing. He's steering his purpose, his plan, overruling every moment of every day. Because God reigns exclusively, constantly, and actively. His reign is comprehensive. That's the fourth word, comprehensive. In other words, there's no boundaries set up. It doesn't say here, oh, the Lord reigns when this happens. No, he just says the Lord reigns. He doesn't say, oh, well, God only reigns where this is occurring or that's occurring. No, the Lord reigns. There's no boundaries at all. There's no, you could call it jurisdiction to his sovereignty. There's no jurisdiction where his sovereignty stops. When I was down in Southern California, when I worked with the Riverside County DA's office, we had the privilege of working with the Indian tribes in the area um, because they were called sovereign nations. And most of the Indian tribes had casinos on their property. And because there was money involved in all this stuff, and they had their own police force on the sovereign nation where they dwelled. And they would have police cars because they made lots of money off the stupid people that were going to the Indian casinos to try to win some money. They didn't realize Indian casinos are not governed by the government. At least they weren't back then. They had their own set of rules. So if you're going to gamble, the worst place to go is an Indian casino. (laughs) Because there's no oversight. At least in a, you know... Vegas or Reno or whatever, it's overseen by some government entity. Not so in the Indian. They, they kind of do things differently because they're a sovereign nation. And they had their own police force. And we found out through several people complaining that the police force was wandering off the sovereign nation, off the property of the Indian reservation in their police vehicles with their light bars and their cages and everything. And they'd go up on I-10, which went right through the Coachella Valley, and they'd park along the freeway. And they'd see a car go by. They had no radar. They had no, none of that stuff. They would just pull somebody over and say, you were speeding. You were going 85, and it's a 70-mile-an-hour speed limit here. I have to write you a ticket. And the poor person that's driving through doesn't know. They see a police car with lights. So they write them a ticket, and guess what? They made a ton of money off people. They had no right. They had no jurisdiction on I-10. And unless you knew that, finally enough people got savvy to it. And what we did as the DA's office, we actually said, if your police vehicle leaves the sovereign nation property, you have to take your light bar off. You have to take all markings off your car. You can't have a gun in there anymore because you're not on your sovereign nation. You don't have sovereign nation status when you're an Indio. So you can't be driving around in a cop car intimidating people. See, their, their jurisdiction had a limit. God's has no limit. None. Doesn't matter who's in office. Doesn't matter what kind of government you're under. Communist government. It doesn't matter. He reigns over all. He reigns over the nations. He reigns over nature. He reigns over circumstances and events. He reigns over good people. He reigns over reprobate people. He reigns over all human hearts and minds and wills. There's not one square inch of this universe over which the Lord does not reign. Just to be clear. R.C. Sproul said this one time. He said, you know what? In the universe, there are no maverick molecules. (laughs) Everything exists to carry out the purpose and the plan of God. 
And Scripture teaches us that. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. Listen to that. The king's heart. To be a king, you have to be a pretty kind of a kind of personality. You know, you got your own agenda. You got... No, it says, you know what? You're just a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And it says, he turns it wherever he will. Wow. Or Proverbs 16.33. This is why I say there's no such thing as luck. It says, the lot is cast into the lap. The lot was kind of, a, a, kind of like dice that they would use to kind of discern God's will. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Wow. That's amazing. And in Matthew and in Luke, Matthew 10, 29 and 30, the Lord gives an illustration of two sparrows. And he says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He's even sovereign over those stupid little birds out there that make those messes over there by the, the, the nursery on the, on the walkway that I want to get rid of so bad. Well, he's sovereign over them too. And then he says this, and this is kind of humorous. He says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered, or the lack thereof, I like to say, right? He knows. He knows everything. He's over all. We often hear people say, when they're putting up legislation before Congress, right? You'll hear a lot of uh, politicians say this. Well, you know, we got to look at this bill because the devil's in the details. You ever hear that phrase? We use that a lot. That's wrong. God is in the details. God is in the details. He really is. God reigns exclusively, constantly, actively, comprehensively. Fifthly, he reigns majestically. Look at what it says there. It says he is robed in what? He is robed in majesty. He is robed in majesty. He's a king. He's he's robed in his kingly garments. He's sitting on his throne. He's ready. He's not sleeping. That's why I love that song we sang this morning. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Right? He's always there, 24-7, 365 days a year for the rest of your life. You have access to the God who created you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to come to a building to have access. You don't have to do anything. You, you just have to come through Christ, and you know what? You have access. And it says he is ready. He's not resting. He's not sleeping. He's not on vacation. He didn't take a sabbatical. It says he's attired with that which a, a king would wear when he's fully dressed and ready to govern. Why? Because he's on duty. He's ready to deal with, with everything that is in this universe that he created. And he does so majestically. He does so in majesty. That means it's, it's not a trivial thing to him. It's not the normal way of doing things. You know, you can do, do something just basically, and then you can do something with extravagance and majesty, right? Well, he does everything with Everything. He does so with regal authority and majesty. And that, that really shows us who he is. He's the king of kings and what? Lord of lords. He's over all. Exclusively, constantly, actively, comprehensively, majestically. But then I like this. It says he has put on strength as his belt. The Lord reigns, what, powerfully. The Lord reigns powerfully. Do you know that the person who saved you, God who saved you, the God who saved you, there's no one that could come against him and oppose him successfully that would somehow prevent his plan and his purpose for you? See, you know, our, our churches today have given... God's enemy, Satan, way too much credit. Way too much credit. So we find ourselves off doing things we shouldn't be doing, and what do we do? Rather than take responsibility for it, well, you know, it's Satan. No, no, it's not Satan. You sin, you own it. That's your problem. Don't blame it on Satan. I'm sure he's got a lot of better things to do than follow you around 
some little Christian in Redwood City trying to make you sin. Our flesh will take care of that. God is almighty. There's no one thing that can oppose him. It doesn't say here that he's, he's put on some strength or some power as his belt. It doesn't say he put on most strength. or No, he's put on strength, all of it. Our God is not very powerful. He's all, all powerful over everything. That's why we call him what? The Almighty. Almighty. He's over everything. All power. No power outside of himself. Only that finite power that maybe he delegates to us once in a while through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to carry out his purpose and his plan here on earth. The Lord reigns powerfully. Exclusively, constantly, actively, comprehensively, majestically, majestically, powerfully, and then immutably. The Lord reigns immutably. It means he doesn't change. Look at what it says there in the text. Yes, the world is established. I mean, he should know. He did it. Hello? He created everything we see around us. And then it says, it shall never be moved. This is the God who created everything. He created the mountains. He created the valleys. He created the coastlines. He created the oceans. He created the globe on its axis to be at the right speed and pitch and distance from the sun so we don't burn up. And yet, not too far away that we don't freeze. He's sovereign over the climate. Isn't it funny how they, they love to, you know, they start with, it's global warming, right? And people buy into that. Well, yeah, it does seem a little hotter this summer. Oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't start my car today. I mean, as if that's going to make any difference. Maybe I'll hold my breath for an extra minute and that'll, it's, it's so ridiculous. This is not Science. I mean, he created everything. I think he knows where the, the water should be and where the ice, ice is. and I, I, I think he realizes this. He's over the climate. So it goes from global, global warming to what? Oh, climate change. Yeah, duh. Just listen to the, 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 the meteorologist on the news, right? He gets up there and tells you what's going to happen. It doesn't happen. All it changed. I mean, this has gone on for years. Yes, climate changes. So what? But what? You follow it. Follow it. Where does it go? It goes right in where? Right in your, right in your pocket. It comes down to the purse. It comes down to your money. So now our, our lovely government is going to give Billions of dollars to China because they're classified as a kind of a struggling nation that's trying to come up from the... Billions of dollars so that they can have more coal plants and, and put more pollution into the air. They reward... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. This says, you know what? This is not going to change. The world is established. It shall never be moved until God moves it. It shall never be moved. It doesn't matter what the tree huggers say. As a matter of fact, eventually he's going to burn it all up anyway. I mean, really? I mean, think about it. This is what's going to happen to this world as we know it. It's going to be destroyed by fire. And we will live in a new heaven and a new earth. It will be recreated. I mean, to think that somehow you're going to prevent this is ridiculous. It's like going down to Half Moon Bay and standing there when the, the waves are coming into the shore and saying, you know what, I'm just going to make them stop. 
I want the ocean to stop because it's causing too much, you know, damage here. You can go out behind the Half Moon Bay Airport up there on the cliffs and you can look down and you can see whole porches of, of concrete where houses used to be on the cliff. And because the ocean keeps whittling away, it just fell down there many years ago. You can't stop that. Look at Florida with the hurricane. You have billion-dollar houses down there, million-dollar houses, that have, you know, these edgeless pools right on the coast. And then you look at them now, and the edgeless pool's still there, but there's nothing underneath the pool. I don't think you're going to be swimming in that pool anytime soon. And there's no coastline left for their house. And these are people that have probably billions of dollars, and they can't prevent it from happening. And God says, you know what? I gave this for you to enjoy. It doesn't mean you should go out and litter and just, you know, cause chaos in the society in which we live. We want to take care of this planet, obviously, but not to the degree of worshiping it. Exclusively, constantly, actively, comprehensively, majestically, powerfully, immutably, And then it says, the Lord reigns eternally. He says, your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Do you ever think about this? God is not a new hire. Do you ever work for a company and they hire somebody new? You know, you've been doing the job for five years and this newbie comes in. And it takes so much patience, right? You got to show them everything. And, oh, you don't do that. You do this. And this is the way you do it. And eventually, hopefully they catch on. If they don't, they're gone, right? But God is not a new hire. It's not like he just woke up yesterday and said, okay, I want to be God of the universe. (laughs) No, he's eternal. There's never been a time when God has not been there. He reigns eternally before the foundation of the world, eternity past, through eternity future. This is our Christian worldview. This is what we hold near and dear to our hearts. This is the lens with which we see life all around us. If we don't, there's no hope. This is what should drive us to serve the almighty God. Knowing that, you know what? I am on a winning team here. Doesn't care what the politics say. Doesn't care what the the, the climate says. I get to praise him forever in good and bad, in blessing and in trials, in disparity and in prosperity. It's God's providence that you're here today. God reigns. The Lord reigns. In this psalm, in verses 3 and 4, it talks about next, not the sovereign reign of God, but the sinful rebellion against God. It says, your throne is established from of old, you are from everlasting then he says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. When you, when you come to the, the Psalms, you have to understand how they were put together. A lot of times we look at the Psalms and we think, oh, well, he, the psalmist must have sat down and said, okay, well, let's see, I'll start Psalm 1. And he starts writing Psalm 1. And then I'll go on to Psalm 2. No. That's not how the Psalms were put together. They were put together in that order for us to read in our English Bibles that way. But did you know the first Psalm that was ever written is Psalm 90? The last Psalm that was ever written is Psalm 126? That probably throws you for a loop. But in Psalm 2, it says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, listen, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Where where do they set themselves? Why are they taking counsel? Against the Lord. And against, guess who? His anointed. His people. Saying this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, they don't want to have anything to do with this God who reigns over everything. And that's why they, Romans 1 says they, they take the God of the 
all creation, and rather than worship him and thank him for his wonderful creation, what do they do? They worship the creation, not the creator. As a matter of fact, and then they look at God's truth. They look at the the truth that the creator has put before them, and they say, you know what? This kind of cramps our style. We like our sin more than we like your truth. So we're going to take your truth, Romans 1 says, and we're going to suppress it. We want to suppress the truth of God. We don't like this holy God because it kind of puts a little cramp in the way we want to live our sinful lifestyles. So we're going to take God and we're just going to kind of cleanse society of God. What is happening today, beloved? Did you know originally in America when kids would go to read and, and, and learn to write, they were given portions of scripture to read in our country? I mean, it's gone full circle, man. It's crazy. You can't pray, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's ridiculous. And I would say, oh, but you can. Because guess what? You don't answer to them. You answer to who? You answer to the Lord who reigns. The Lord who reigns supremely. Don't be part of the sinful rebellion against God. Because God is the one in verse 4 of Psalm 2. He says, he who sits in heaven laughs. He looks at what world leaders are doing and all these people that think they have all this money and all this control. And he's laughing. Not, this isn't a laugh of comedy. This isn't a joking laugh. This is like, really? I mean, come on, really? I created you. Are you really going to come against me? The almighty God? Really? Are you really going to do this? And it says the Lord holds them in derision. And when his patience runs out, it says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Do we serve a loving God? Yes. But don't take his love for granted. Do we serve a gracious God? Yes. But do not take his grace for granted. Do we serve a God who's patient with us? Yes. But don't press him. Don't press him. You want to know more about God? You dig into his word and you find out more about him. But you have no right as one of his creators, creations, to stand there and point your little finger in his nose and go, how dare you? It's crazy. Because he is God. He reigns over all. In the last verse there, 5, back to Psalm 93, it says, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. It's the sure revelation of God. His word, this book, is sure. It's the foundation upon which we believe what we believe. If you don't believe this book, then just why why even be here? Makes no sense. I always get just a joke out of people. Well, you know, I I believe most of the Bible, but there's some parts of the Bible I don't believe. And I just want to snicker and go, really? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Do you know who wrote this book? It was the God. The Lord reigns. The almighty God. In closing this, it was 13 years before his conversion, John Wesley had a conversation one night with a a porter at his college that impressed him. And there was more to Christianity than what he found so far, and so he asked him this question, and, and the porter wasn't wealthy at all. Um, he only had one coat. He had eaten no food that day, and Wesley noticed that his heart was full of gratitude to God, full of thanksgiving to God, and Wesley said to him this. He says, you thank God when you have nothing to wear but one coat? You thank God when you have nothing to eat? You have no bed to lie upon. What else do you thank him for? It just blew Wesley's mind. 
And the porter said this, I thank him that he has given me my life and my being. And he's given me a heart to love him. And more than that, a desire to serve him. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Even though we'll never obey these commands perfectly, we should be making progress daily in our lives. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.